dealing with Christmas. I'm not going to get hung up in the mechanics of it. We know for a fact that Christ was not born on December 26th, 25th. We know that. And that really ruffles a lot of people's religious feathers because they say, what did he just say? In Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2, there's something that I want you to hear this morning. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, that there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And this is what they said, that saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. They're, they're, I'm not here to debunk the nativity scene. I'm just here to talk to you. We're not in, in, in pre-kindergarten Christianity here. I always want to treat you with responsibility. And, but we know there's not really three wise men. There could have been 300. It could have been 3,000 to get the king's attention. Three men wouldn't have got Herod's attention. 3,000 would. But here's the idea. We're not going to get hung up on any of those things, but we know that these wise men were they either scientists, astrologers from Babylon that was taken in captivity, probably descendants that came from Babylon that was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel's time, ancestors. And we know that where Daniel, whether he was in Jerusalem or Judea or in Babylon, that he never neglected to declare the word of God. So somewhere these wise men through the years picked up on education that, that David, excuse me, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names they gave them, these men taught the principles of God. And this should be a lesson to us, no matter where we are, that God is still God. Amen. You don't have to declare his goodness sitting here. Wherever you go, you need to declare the goodness of the Lord. And so what happens is these men were astrologers, we think, and not astronomers, but astrologers. And astrologers were people that studied celestial things in the sky. And so it was the same thing that one day that they were told by, by Daniel. That the day will come in numbers that his star shall arise. And, and he shall be one that is born among men that will be savior of the world. And so for, this was 600 years before Christ was even born. But they held on to these concepts and these principles until one day it appeared. And what's so magnificent about this is that these men were astronomers. They studied the stars. But one day a certain star appeared and it got their attention, almost like it got the attention of Moses in a burning bush. Moses was very familiar with bushes, but when one was set on fire, it got his attention. And the Bible said he turned towards that burning bush. And in that burning bush probably was an angelic being that spoke to Moses. And these men were just doing their ordinary jobs. And watch this. And all of a sudden someone said, what is that? We have studied the stars for 600 years. What star is that? We have never seen that star. And somebody said, could it be the one that Daniel talked about? Could it be the one that Balaam prophesied about in Numbers 24? Could it be that star? And they began to research. And they said, it has to be. And from that moment, they begin their journey between six and 700 miles. The Bible says that they, in Matthew chapter, they found the child. We're looking for, we're looking for the king of the Jews. 
And so we know by definition, by the time you get to Matthew chapter two, verse nine, this is what it says. When they get through speaking to Herod, and, and Herod now is frustrated because they, he felt like that he was the only king and we're not going to go into the mechanics of this. But Herod was outraged, as you will know. And when these men departed, the king, they departed and lo, the star reappeared. So evidently, when they traveled for about a year and four months or five months, they made their way to Jerusalem and they didn't ask somebody at the local gas station. They went straight to the guy. And they said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod said, I am the king. He said, no, you're just, you're just an imitation of the real deal. We're looking for the real king. And boy, that got him. You got to tell a preacher he's not that big of stuff while he's in church. It really hurts their feelings. <laughs> we're not really here to see you. We're here to hear about the, the King Jesus. Amen. See? And I've always made it my point in this church. My, son, my name is never on, the, on this building. It's always about Christ. This thing is always about Christ, our king. And so the Bible says, and when they heard this, the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east reappeared and went before him till they came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they make their way by the instructions of Daniel. They make their way to Jerusalem, takes them about a, a year and three, four, five months. Evidently, the star disappeared. And when they come to Jerusalem, the star is not there. And then when they give this discourse to Herod, he's so outraged that when they left, the star reappeared and said, well, there it is. And the Bible says, go back to the verse before it says, and when they followed the star, they found where the young boy, the young child was. Young child. Now, for you that are religious, I, I, wanna, I don't want to debunk your nativity scene, but there is no such thing as the wise men in the manger scene. It's okay. Don't throw anything at me. It's all right. But if we're going to teach biblical principles, let's at least get it right. The shepherds found the baby. Luke records that, matter of fact, in Luke chapter number two, verse 12, it says this, dealing with the shepherds, and this shall be a sign unto you that you shall find the babe, say the word babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. Somebody said, what is swaddling clothes? It was, it was burial clothes. It was what they used a shroud to, when they buried people. Traveling about a hundred miles that we've talked about this, but Mary at nine months plus wasn't for sure if she could make the journey on borough number one. So the Jews were superstitious. If someone died along the way, they could not touch a dead body. So they had to carry swaddling clothes or burial clothes just in case somebody didn't make it and they could enshroud this dead corpse in this swaddling clothes and wrap them up, swaddling clothes like a mummy and, and take them where they need to go. And here's the concept. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, when he was born, not knowing Mary or Joseph, not knowing this, the full picture that you and I know today. But I don't know about you, but if anybody here been pregnant and you're nine months, the last thing you want to do is ride a donkey for a hundred miles. <laughs> I mean, when we get, I remember when Jeremy was born, <clears throat> I mean, all we had to do go from Ratliff City to Ardmore and I was in some beat up jalopy and she was screaming bloody murder, slow down and speed up at the same time. And she said, do you have to hit every bump along the road? And I said, I'm trying to get this process expedited if we can get him out a little faster. The idea of the swaddling clothes was a barrel clothes. 
just in case she didn't make it or the child didn't live. And I know what you're going to say. Well, the angel spoke. I know that for a fact. But how many times have God spoken to you and you didn't believe it? How many times you look in a situation, God said, I'm going to turn that situation around. And you go, I don't, I don't really believe that. So they found him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The word babe is where we get a word for breakfast. And breakfast, by definition, it means an infant. And it's a term that doctors use for an unborn child still in the womb. The shepherds found the breakfast, the newborn baby, straight out of the wrapper. But the wise men found the young child in the house. The word young child is where we get a word for prepadion. And padion means a, a, a small child, three to four. And the word prepadion means a toddler still with unskilled legs. So here's the Christmas story. The angels told the shepherds the child will be born in Bethlehem. The baby lying in a manger, breakfast. He's brand new. Go find him. And they found him. The wise men, the moment that Christ was born, that was the moment that the star lit up the heavens. And it took almost a year and a half for them to travel on foot by camel from somewhere in Persia all the way to Jerusalem on foot. That makes sense. And when the wise men found him, the first thing they went to Jerusalem because the scripture says in Micah 5, 2, said, Oh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Euphrates, that even though you may be small, but out of thee shall come the Savior of Israel. They had that scripture. So they migrated the first thing to Jerusalem because Bethlehem was five miles outside of Jerusalem. So that's where they were headed. That You had to go to Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem. So now then, the child, Jesus, is now a pateon, which is about a year and six months. And they found him at the house. So I've arm wrestled with people and proved them wrong. It's okay. But the house wasn't in Bethlehem. If that was the deal, why did he have to be born in the backside of nowhere? What house? And what's, what's strange about this, Mary is from here, and still nobody would let... a her in the house. So more than likely, our Savior was born sometime in the late spring, probably, because out of the field, that's where shepherds were, and out there, that's where he was born somewhere, out in the open. And it took him about a year and five months, and now then, it's, it's made a year and four, five, six months, and now then, it took that long for the wise men to make their way all the way back to their house, which was Nazareth. Where would they go after the, after the census? You would go home. Why would you hang around in Bethlehem and Jerusalem when nobody would let you in the door when you were trying to have a baby? So they went home. And on the way home, they stopped by Jerusalem, said, we're looking for the king. And the king was so infuriated and so frustrated, the wise men had to say, I don't understand. I thought we had this right. I'm getting somewhere with this. Trust me. And as they walked off, and King said, oh, yeah, by the way, when you find them, bring them back to me. He was going to kill all of them. And somebody said, look, there it is again. And instead of going to Bethlehem, they headed north and northwest to Nazareth. And they found the young child, the young child, the prepadion, toddler, Jesus, 
And they gave Jesus, that young child, these three gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And what these three gifts were, and we all know, but they were prequels of his life to come. We know this. His worship, his burial, and his glory. Now, we said all that to say this. I want to show you in verse 9 through 11. I'm going to show verse 12. This is where we'll end this. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. See the word warned? It's a Greek word for informed. See, for, for a year and a half, these men pursued Christ on the instructions of other men. For over a year and a half, these men left their home and their families and they pursued the Son of the living God, knowing in full well that they, their lives may be taken along the way in the journey because they, they carry such valuable gifts. But, but they pursued Christ on the opinions and instructions of what another man said. Even dealing with the star. The star was, was, was what they referred to as hearsay, even though it was recorded in Scripture, but, but they had no guarantee of it. And so when they went to Jerusalem, they were a little disappointed, and the star reappeared. And they followed that star once again on the instructions of what another man said. Until they delivered the gifts. And when they delivered the gifts, something shifted in the heavenlies. Now God is speaking to them for the first time. See, worshiping is, by definition, is called giving, worshiping, surrendering, submission. The word worship in the Greek means worthy. In Axios is a word that means we're doing this because you're worthy of it. Some of you this morning, and I'm just saying this from my heart because I've known some of you a long time, you're pursuing God the very best that you can, but through the years it's got a little hard because you're only doing it following another man's instructions. Go here, stand there, and for God's sake, whatever you do, don't hang around anybody whose last name ends with Edge. Don't do that. And you go, okay, 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 okay. And, and your whole life that, that you're just going through the rituals of don't do this and don't do that. And, and I heard a preacher say this and I heard a preacher say that. And, and, and you're being obedient by another man's structure. But here's the deal. This is what I want for you to experience in the year 2023. I want God to speak to you. So why is it that you do this? I don't know. I went to church. They raised me that way. I don't know. 
Why is it that you can't do this on a certain day? I don't know. Somebody at church told me I couldn't. Why is it that I can't have a tree in my house? I don't know. Somebody said it was a pagan God. I don't know. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just telling you, you're doing your very best like the wise man because you're carrying something on the inside that Jesus so desperately wants to receive from you and it's called your best. And so our whole life that we pursue God on a sense because someone else, my father told me if I didn't do this, he'd hit me in the head and the preacher said, I'm going to go to hell if I do this. And I don't know. I'm just doing the very best I can. But here's the deal. When you finally encounter Christ and for the first time that you encounter him and everybody else has a blind eye to him and you come across him by the Spirit of God. And this is what you do. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my talent. I give you my finances. You're greater than my circumstance. You're greater than my imperfections. God, you're greater than my sin. I don't want the biggest church. I don't want the biggest anything. I just, I just want to give you my best. And here is what I have to offer you, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to honor you in every area of my life. And from that moment, 20-something years ago, when I did that, God began to talk to me. Something wonderful happens if you've heard me say through the years in creation 10 times, God said, let it be. Let there be light. Let there be waters. Let there be firmness upon the land. Let there be creepy things. That means cats. Let all those things. And he spoke it. But when he come to man, he did not speak man into existence. When he came to man, he reached down. Tusty. And you've been longing for God's touch your whole life. It's not enough for someone to say God said. We are created beings in the image of God, and as Adam was first touched by God in the garden, so we've been longing for God to touch us. You want 23 to be better year than 22? Then hear what it is. I can't predict to you who will win the presidency or the cabinet or the senate. That really doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't deter God whatsoever. But if he'll just talk to me, Travis. Ron, if he'll just talk to me. I can endure any storm that comes my way. And some of you closing this morning, you've done your very best to file in here week after week after week and thank you. And you give your offerings and your tithes and, and you give your attendance. Thank you so much. And you take your kids home. Thank you so much. But you go home at night and you lay in an empty bed and you say to yourself, is this really real? Is this really real? I followed God for all my life after the instructions of what someone told me, but it's not making any sense to me until the day these men gave to Christ 
everything that they had to give. They worshiped. Someone said this morning, well, I, I gave offering. Look at my tithing statement. I understand that. But did you give him your heart? Well, now, wait a minute, preacher. Now, I'm asking you a question. Do you want him to speak to you or do you just want to follow men's instructions your whole life? Me, I want to not only see his glory, I want him to speak to me. So I made up my mind on the boat. Well, I didn't make it up on the boat, but I made it on the boat. That the first time these men surrendered their gifts of worship, everything that they had to bring him, they didn't hold anything from themselves. They let it all to him. God began to speak to them for the first time. So this is my prayer for this small church. I can't guarantee God will change your health problems. I cannot guarantee God will change your married problems. I cannot guarantee you that things will change, that this will be your best day ever, and this year will be the greatest year you've ever experienced. Anybody ever tells you that, you need to just walk off away from them because they don't have the right to tell you that. But I will tell you this, and you can write it down. And if you'll give God everything that you have on the inside, your mind and your soul and your heart and your emotions and your talent and everything that he deserves, I will tell you one thing, he will spend the, the rest of your life, he'll talk to you. And he'll whisper things to your ear that you've never known that he could tell you. So can we do that as a church? Someone said, well, I don't have much to offer. I understand that, neither do I. So much imperfection and inadequacies on my part, it's not even funny. But God, that, that I do have, it's yours. And I want to worship you and I want to give you what I have because you deserve it. This is all about you. And I will tell you this morning, if you'll spend 2023 and the remainder of your life worshiping God with all your heart and your mind and your soul, you don't have to live your life by the instructions of other people's opinions because He will speak to your heart and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's do that. Let's do that. Father, this morning, we're no different than the wise men. We're not wise. But we're no different from these gentlemen that long to, to know you in a different way. They want to know you more than just pages on a book, sermons on a script. But they traveled, they traveled over a year and a half to find the young child and when they found the young child Christ, they surrendered their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh as an act of worship. They didn't take anything home with them. They left it all at the feet of Christ. And that moment, for the first time in their entire life, 
God, you spoke to them. Father, this has been a rough year. For some of us, this has been a devastating year. There's people in here that has experienced death and divorce and sickness and financial frustrations and marital mishaps. This has been a rough year for the body of Christ. Personally, there's been some extremities of just depression and darkness and dark days and struggles. And But we're convinced that we could just hear your voice. If we could just hear your voice, it'll calm our nerves and ease our minds. And here's the formula that we've learned today, that before we leave this place and this house of worship, we're just gonna give you our best. We're gonna give you all of it. Let's take it all. Like the loaves and fishes, Father, we're just gathering the fragments pieces of our life. We're just hunting and pecking pieces of our life that's been so fragmented. But once we just gather it all up, we're just going to bring it to you here, pieces and all. And watch you do the impossible. So Father, this morning for the year 2023, let it be a year that you have are speaking to your people because we've learned to worship you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. If you believe that this morning, stand to give the Lord a praise offering. Would you please? The Lord is king of our life today. huh? Turn about two people and say, that's the shortest sermon that guy's ever spoken. I wish it was Christmas every Sunday. Take somebody by the hand and tell them, I'm glad you're here today. I really mean it. Communion servers, make your way down here. If, if, if you're visiting this morning, we celebrate Holy Communion every week. We're not asking you to fill out a report card of what you've done this week. In the church that I grew up in, in the Assemblies of God Church, they told you that when they took communion, whenever they took it, once a month, once every six weeks, whatever, they said, you better examine yourself, as the scripture says, because if any man takes this cup unworthily, he's, he's heaping damnation upon himself. Well, that just scared the water out of most of us. But if you're visiting here this morning, please hear me. The Apostle Paul, by the Greek word, let a man examine himself. Don't take it unworthily is a Greek word called inaxios. It means don't take it in your own worth. Never celebrate Holy Communion on how good you've been or how bad you've been. You're celebrating Holy Communion because Jesus is King. There's only one that's good. So whether you've been good or bad, Christ offers you to have communion with him through the sacraments that we share every Sunday morning.
And I'm so thankful for that. So that night, 2,000 years ago, he sat down with his disciples and he took the bread and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover, the unleavened bread. But he said, now then I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And if any man, gentlemen, eats of me, he will never hunger again. And they took the bread. And then he took the cup, the third cup. It was the cup of redemption, they called it. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this, the shedding of the lamb's blood, that they would take the lamb's blood and place in the shape of a cross. And that dreadful night, the, the Abaddon, the death angel, would pass over any house who had the lamb's blood upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And Jesus said, I am now, gentlemen, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And my Father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross that the death angel will have no hold on you. And they took the cup. This morning, here is the good news that Christ died for our sins. He gave his body and shed his blood. He was born to die, wrapped in a manger, in swaddling clothes. It was his burial clothes, even as a baby. For the forgiveness of our sins, this is what Christmas is all about. Father, bless this cup this morning. Bless this bread. And as we just, we exchange the gifts, we give you all that we have today that we want you to speak to our hearts from this day forward. In Christ's name, amen.